0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's sure good to be with you today. I am so excited about this opportunity to speak about God's story. Now, you all know that God has a story that He wants us to know and to be able to share, even as you were suggesting this morning, on an airplane. When somebody sits next to you that is a divine appointment and you never anticipated that that was going to happen this week, and yet it happened, And you get this opportunity to share this story that God shares in the Word of God. There are really two stories. There's your story and there's God's story. And hopefully we know our story, right? I mean, if you just kind of piece the pieces together and you were to sit down with somebody, you could probably pretty much explain your story. There might be parts of it that you would leave out (laughs) for various reasons or because you just forgot or or maybe you asked God, help me forget that part of my story or whatever it is. But a lot of times we share that story publicly, don't we, with Facebook or Instagram or that sort of thing. And we share it often with pictures because pictures and stories is a wonderful way to share a story, isn't it? Well, what we're going to try to do today is give you 15 pictures that will give you the entire gospel story from the book of beginnings to the book of new beginnings, so from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. And we want to give it to you in a way that the pictures can be prompters to help you storyline that entire gospel story. So for most of us, we've been focused on the New Testament part of the story. Obviously, the part that concerns Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of God's plan to redeem mankind, redemption, heal, to save people from their sins. And so often that's where our focus is. But you know what brings the story to life in an even greater way is the entire story. It's understanding that this isn't something that just happened, but this is something that God orchestrated through his, I love that last song that pointed out the goodness of God, through the goodness of God. And we're going to see the goodness of God as we work our way through that entire story. So the hope would be that all of us would be able to not only know our story, which is a wonderful way to share the gospel. So we don't negate, our story in any way, because if you are a follower of God through Jesus Christ, He has done and He's still doing a new work in you, a great work. And this is a work that the Lord wants us to talk about, even in John chapter 4, when the woman at the well shared her story. Remember that? Jesus told this woman that He could give her some living water, and she was very interested in whatever that meant, so she wouldn't have to come out to the well every day And ultimately, she ends up coming to a place of belief in this man that uh, she met at the well, and she went out and told the entire city that she lived there in, or town, Sychar, that uh, there was somebody who told her everything that she had ever done. I mean, what an incredible thing. Jesus knew the story as well, and they came out to, to hear the gospel story. And so to be able to spring from our story to the gospel story when God opens the doors could be one of the best ways that we could witness. In fact, I say that in light of James chapter 1, where James talks about how we are to sow the seed of the Word of God. So you've heard of the parable of the sower, no doubt, and there's different kinds of responses to that seed, different kinds of soils. It's not our responsibility to change the soil, I mean, that's a work of God, but it's our responsibility to share the seed, the Word of God, and when the Word of God is implanted in the hearts and lives of people, new life begins, birth happens, changes happen, but many times we're not ready to share that entire story. So what got us going in this direction of working on, for the past eight years, the storyboards that you have in front of you, was for many years before that, in fact, 25-plus years, I've taught uh, seminars for Walkthrough the Bible Ministries. And Walkthrough has a way of teaching people through hand signs. I don't know, have any of you ever gone through a Walkthrough? Yeah, some of you have. Ah, wonderful. So maybe you went to the walk through the Old Testament or walk through the New Testament, just so nobody feels left out. If you've not come to a walkthrough seminar before, just raise your hand. So, so Okay, most of you haven't. All right. So now we all feel like we participated in this moment here in our service together. <laughs> I feel good about that now. But in walkthrough, when we teach people the entire storyline, we use hand signs and we've shortened it. We used to teach them 77 major people, places, and events. So that's a lot to memorize and we do it with hand signs. And the hand signs are prompters creation, fall, flood, nations, and so forth. You're very interested now to know the rest. Come up to me at the lunch break and we'll talk about it. But that aside, we've reduced it to 40 because people seem to not want to be together very long when they go to these seminars. And now Walkthrough is considering bringing under its umbrella Bible storyboards because it's only 15. And so that's another whole way to actually get the storyline. But the interesting thing about Bible storyboards is that it's, it's a method that could potentially, through pictures... Help people be interested or take an interest in the gospel story as you share it on airplanes or for instance, a few months ago, I said to the person who cuts my hair, she I, I asked her, What do I call you anyway? She I do I call you a barber? She's no call me a stylist. I said, okay, not a salonist? She said, no, a stylist. I said, all right, that's what I'm going I'm to call you, the styli- stylist. And, you know, she takes like 10 minutes to cut my hair. You could see that if you're somebody who, you know, is observant of hair. But anyway, so I said to her, she said to me, she said, hey, Dave, what have you been doing today? I said, well, I've been working on Bible storyboards. She said, what's that? I said, you have an interest in the story that's told in the Bible? She said, I do. And I said, well, great. She said, now, you know, I only got 10 minutes here. (laughs) I said, okay. So I took her through the entire storyboard. She had never had a person help her understand the entire gospel story. So that's what we're going to try to do together this morning. Now, I want you to understand how significant this is in the light of Jesus and his ministry, even in the last part of his ministry. Take your Bible out, turn to Luke chapter 24, would you? Luke chapter 24. And in Luke 24, Jesus actually shares this gospel story as found in the scriptures. And and what I love about this is because he's speaking to a couple of guys who are, after Jesus' death, processing what had happened? They had thought that Jesus was the Messiah, and now it's been three days, and they're still trying to sort this thing out, and as far as they know, Jesus is still dead. And so Jesus is going to help them come to a place of belief and hope. They were at a hopeless moment in their life there. They thought that maybe he was the Messiah. And I love what Jesus does here, because what he does is that he takes them through the entire Old Testament scriptures, the entire Old Testament. Now, that was something these religious guys evidently had not put together. So they had enough information to have an interest in spiritual things, but and they had enough interest in Jesus possibly being the Messiah, but they couldn't put the, the story together. And quite frankly, that's the condition of, of most of us. We can't put the story together, and so I love what Tim Keller has said about that because I think it really speaks to our situation today even. He said this, Pastor Tim Keller, he's now in heaven. What a godly man that had amazing impact on people, and anyway, he wrote so many wonderful things, but this was one of the statements he made in his ministry and time as a pastor. He said, many people think of the Bible as a book of moral teachings, with stories sprinkled through. This is the Bible to illustrate the teachings. But it's a lot better than that. The Bible's a single true story with teachings sprinkled through to illustrate the story. So when you grasp the story, it brings together the stories. That's what he's saying. And what we want to try to do is we want to try to give you that story so that you can tell the story through just some pictures and some stories, and I know you have an interest in this, because if you're on Facebook, this is what you do all the time. You're posting pictures and telling stories. If you're on Instagram, you do the same thing. We have a a grandson uh, who is 15, and he runs cross-country, and he's constantly posting about his cross-country. Why would he do that? Well, he, he loves what he's doing, which is shocking to me. I mean, he's running. Are you kidding you know, that just doesn't compute with me. And some of you are runners like, oh, you're missing out on life, buddy, you know. And I just want to say to you, well, then why don't you smile when you run? But that's a, <laughs> uh, another story, you know. Camden actually says to us, you know, I, I said, how do you do it? He says, it's pain. It's a lot of pain. I said, so you don't mind the pain? He said, no, I just get through the pain because I feel like God's given me a gift. And i inside him saying, thank you, Lord, for not giving me that gift, you know. But but anyway, so we use stories and we use pictures. Isn't that the truth? And so you can do this. That's all I'm trying to say right now. And the pictures can be a prompter to help you tell the entire story, maybe something that most of us here have never done, be able to tell the entire story from begin to end and help a person come to faith in Jesus Christ. But look at this in Luke chapter 24. So in Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 19, okay, let's just pick it up there. i just show you a few verses because I don't want to infringe on the series you guys are doing in Luke, right? So um, you're going to get to Luke 24 someday. I don't don't know, is it going to be like three years or what is it, you know? Whenever you get there. But anyway, so once you get there, this will be kind of a heads up on where you're going. But in Luke 24, 19, this is, let me get there. Here it is. Luke 24, 19 to 21. Uh, these guys, they're walking. You know, they're on a seven-mile walk uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And this stranger joins them, who they don't know it's Jesus. And, and he, the stranger, asked them, what are they talking about? And they said about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed and before God, and all the people, the chief priest and our rulers, it changed, didn't it? Yeah, the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now, they're telling this to the guy that this happened to, right? But he's not letting on. They crucified him. But we had hoped, am I past this? I'm still there. Okay, good. I ought to have somebody else run this part of this. But anyway, we had hoped that he was, excuse me, get this thing to work here too, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. So here are these guys, their their hopes for the Redeemer in Jesus basically are dead. Since Jesus is dead as far as they're concerned, then those hopes are dead. And Jesus has some good news for them. So it says in verse 25 this. It says, did that change? Yeah, it did, good. He said to them, how foolish, he said, Jesus said, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now, I love this, because Jesus had to told them he's Jesus, but he's telling them, you know, what happened is what the Scriptures predicted would happen. So it wasn't like a mistake on God's part. It wasn't that, oh, no, you know, everything is off kilter now, off plan. No, it was prophesied. Now, I love the fact that what Jesus is going to do here then is he's going to take them into the Scriptures. And he could have done something different that maybe some of us would have thought that he would have done And what would have that been? Well, he could have just said, look, guys, okay, it's me, all right? Look, look at me closely. Can you tell it's me? I'm back from the dead. But that's not what he did. He took them to the scriptures in Luke 24, 27, and it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He explained the scriptures. So how is he going to help them get it? I mean, he's going to, in a few moments or a couple hours or whatever it was, he's going to actually reveal himself to them. He's going to open their eyes so they can see that Jesus is Jesus. All right? But at this moment, all they know is he's a stranger who's asking questions, but the stranger has some good information, some good insights into the scriptures, and this stranger then takes them back to the books of Moses, what would that be? Well, that would be the first five books of the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then it says, and then after he went through the books of Moses, he turned to the prophets. And the prophets would be, when we think of prophets, we think of the 17 prophetical books that we find in the Old Testament. But when Jesus talked about the prophets at that point in time, He was talking about the books from Joshua all the way to Malachi. So he was talking about what they knew as the former prophets and the latter prophets. So essentially then, what Jesus did was he took them to the entire storyline of the Old Testament. Now, why would he do that? Well, he wanted them to grasp that what happened was in reality what God had planned and predicted. It was all a part of his plan. He wanted their faith in him to be rooted in the word of God and to birth in them new life and to birth in them hope. In fact, if we were to just go to the New Testament and look at Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, well, let me me see. Can you get me, Chloe, to Romans 15, 4? Did I jump over it? Here it is. I think. Here it is. Yeah. Okay. Nope. Let's go back one. Romans 15.4. Paul is talking about the benefit of reading the Old Testament Scriptures, of knowing the Old Testament Scriptures. And he's saying here, this is written during the New Testament period of time. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have, and what does it say? Hope. And what did those guys on the road to Emmaus need? Hope. They needed hope. Their hopes were dead. They thought that Jesus was the Redeemer, the Messiah. But since he's dead, and it's been three days, and they don't know that he raised from the dead was raised from the dead, so as far as they're concerned, he wasn't the Messiah. And so Jesus, in order to give them hope, takes them to the Scriptures. And he takes them through the Old Testament Scriptures nonetheless. Now, for many of us, we haven't used the Old Testament scriptures to give people hope. But do you know anybody who needs hope? Yeah. Would you say that you could use a little bit more hope? Well, yeah, get me on that list. Yeah, I'm right there. Well, the Old Testament can be a way that we can gain, we can grow, we can... Experience more hope than we're experiencing right now just in understanding our God and understanding what God has done. So, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to quickly take you through uh, the storyboards. And to help us do that, we're just going to think about um, three sections that are in the storyboards. Those first five storyboards are focused on the books of Moses. All right. So, the law, the first. Five storyboards are focused on the first five books of the Old Testament. The next five are focused on the remainder of the Old Testament. So in Jesus' words, the prophets. He sometimes calls them the prophets in the writings or the prophets in the Psalms. But they're all for referring to the same section of Scripture. And then the last five refer to the, uh, what happens between the Old and the New Testament. There's a period of time there. And then we have the period of Jesus' ministry and the impact of his ministry and the other storyboards, all the way up to the final storyboard, the book of New Beginnings, which is the book of Revelation. So what I hope you can do is just jot down a couple notes. That's why we've given you some notes there. Uh, And write down a couple of the key words or all of the key words. That would be helpful to you. But I want to just encourage you to just begin to get a picture of this storyline so that even today you could begin to tell this story. You could share this story. First time I taught this, one of the kids uh, that uh, was a part of one of the faithful families of the church was there. This child, I think, was nine at the time. She went home, and she uh, asked her father if he could you know, allow her to use his phone because he had the storyboards on it. And we're going to make it possible for all of you to have the storyboards this morning on your phone. But she asked if she could borrow his phone and and she did. And their uncle was there and she went over to the uncle and said, has anybody ever helped you understand the story that's found in the Bible? God's story, his love story. He said, no, it was an unbeliever. And she took him through the entire story right then and there. And, and that would be lovely for you to be able to do that. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of the big idea, and I hope that you'll uh, kind of work with us here. Let the pictures help you tell the story. So let's just dig into them, and um, let's uh, see what we can learn. Now, we purposely, these pictures, did these simple, so that they're simple enough that you could draw them. Uh, there are other versions. We're showing you a couple others today, but... I want you to see the simple ones, because these are uh, some storyboards that you could actually, let's say you don't have your phone or whatever it is, and you get the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, and you want to help them understand God's love for them, you could just actually write these out or draw these out on a napkin. You truly can. So that's how simple they are, and they're intentionally designed that way so that they could be used in a variety of ways. They've been used over in Kenya in the dirt where they didn't have anything to write on, and so they just drew the storyboards in the dirt for the kids who were learning the story, God's story, his love story for us. So where does this story begin? Well, it begins in the book of Genesis, where we're told that God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth. He created man and woman, and he created us in his image, and he created us with the capacity to love him, and he created us, to have a relationship with him, to enjoy life with God in all of its goodness and its fullness and its beauty forever. So that's where I begin usually. And usually I don't tell these storyboards the same way every time. I mean, if I'm talking to a salonist (laughs) and she's only going to be cutting my hair for 10 minutes, we're moving, you know, we'll just catch the highlights and keep moving on. But that's the kind of thing you could say with this, because basically this focuses on Genesis chapters 1 and 2, right? Where we talk about the book of beginning or beginnings. And so we talk about God and his desire to have relationship with us and how everything was perfect in all that God created until the first couple did the one thing that God forbid. Remember this? They ate from the one tree that he forbid them to eat from. Uh, We... We say the, the fruit, uh, but oftentimes we call it the proverbial apple, and so that's why we draw an apple here, and both of them ate from this fruit. Some people say this was a banana because it was so appealing, but um, I'm not going down that road. But what happened was sin came into the world, and after that, you know, Adam and Eve did at that point in time something we still do this day. They hid from God an attempt to cover up their sin. And so what did God do? Well, God, he exposed their sin. God does that, doesn't he? So that we could see our need for a savior, for help. But he also gave them, we could call it a glimmer of hope when he said that there was going to come someday a descendant of Eve who would deliver a death blow to Satan that one who deceived them and he would put an end to Satan's wicked empire. Now, God is already, this is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He's already giving them hope in spite of the fact that sin has entered into the world. And there's a lot more you can say now at this point. I mean, you could dig into this whole story around Noah and you know the Tower of Babel and all those other things. But to keep the story moving... I like to then jump to this next storyboard and not get stuck on sin for too long and help people understand that what God did as this story of salvation unfolded was he chose a man and this man's name was Abram or we call him Abraham. And God said to Abraham that through you, the entire world is ultimately going to be blessed. Which is an incredible promise. He said that through Abraham's family tree, that's a family tree, that included four people. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob, and there's Joseph. That through Abraham's family line, the entire world would be blessed. And this family would be called the chosen people, and they would play a significant part in God's salvation story. Now, there's a lot that follows all of that, but ultimately, God's chosen people end up in slavery, didn't they? And so God called a man named Moses to deliver his children from their bondage in Egypt. Now, how did that go? Well, Moses said, you know, you got the wrong guy for the job, and I mean, we could get into a lot of stuff in all of this. He knew that it was physically impossible to deliver the children of Israel, but God, through a number of miracles, ultimately saved his people, bought them out of bondage, and delivered them. And, of course, we think of the parting of the Red Sea, where they escaped sure death at the hands of the Egyptian armies that were chasing them down, and the the Egyptian armies ended up dying in the sea. And then what are we told? Well, God then did what it was he said he was going to do. He led them to the land that he promised them, a land called the land of what? The land of milk and honey. Yeah, and he provided for them all along the way. When they needed water, he gave them water out of rocks and other things like that. And when they needed bread, he gave them bread. What was it called? Manna. Manna. Yeah, what does that mean? What is it? That's right. That's what it means. But he also gave them quail so that they had meat. And he gave them his law so that they could learn to love him like he loved them. And he gave them his presence and he gave them promises, like when he said through Moses that there would come another, another day or a day, another prophet who would ultimately deliver them. And he would speak the truth that would deliver them from their bondage, like Moses did. But this bondage would be the bondage of, of sin. So much more you can talk about. And ultimately, God, who always keeps his promises, led his people to the promised land and invited them to follow him and to go into the land and to occupy the land. And what happened? Well, they heard that there were giants in the land. You remember this? And so when God said go, they said what? No, not doing that. Because there are giants living there. And so what they ended up doing was wandering in the wilderness for 40 years to their deaths. That's why you see the tombstone there. In other words, that entire generation, because of unbelief, did not inherit the promised land. The land that God wanted them to enjoy. Now fortunately, the children of the parents and grandparents that died in the desert didn't die. And when God, once again, 40 years later, brought them back to the promised land, this time they trusted God, they followed Joshua, Moses' replacement, into the land, where beginning with the walled city of Jericho, they took possession of the land, and they saw God defeat the giants, they enjoyed rest in the land, rest from wars and wandering, they enjoyed peace, shalom, shalom. And they enjoyed a relationship with God. They sought to please him, to live according to his will and his word. In other words, this period of Joshua was a time of incredible uh, wonder as they experienced the wonder and the beauty of God. Unfortunately, what followed was the period of the judges when the following generation turned their back on God and instead of... Inheriting or continuing to inherit the promised land, they experienced all kinds of trouble uh, from the enemies that attacked them. Now, this is a fascinating account because what we have here is the people turned away from God and did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, that's kind of like what we're still doing, isn't it? Doing what's right in our own eyes. Uh, they experienced misery uh, because of the enemies who uh, took the, the, the opportunity to make their lives miserable, we could just simply say. Well, they would cry out to God, and God sent for them judges. That's how the judges came into the picture, like Deborah, Gideon, Samson, You could probably name other judges, and then things went great for a while, but ultimately they fell right back into sin, doing what was right in their own eyes, and this little pattern, this sin salvation pattern, this disobey, obey pattern, this not love God, love God pattern repeats itself seven times in the book of Judges, where God delivers them from their misery and gives them a wonderful time of experience in his peace and all that came with it, but they just continue to fall right back in the sand. And you would think, after all of that, you know, actually this went on for about 400 years, you'd think that all of that would have finally said to them, you know what, let's just do it God's way, okay? I think, that, I think he's got a better idea, but the fact is he never stopped wanting to have it their way which is why they ended up with kings. You know the story on the kings? What happened was, is the people were sick and tired of judges. So the elders of Israel came to Samuel. He was one of the prophets of the day, and actually a judge as well. And he came to Samuel, and he said, we want a king. Why did they want a king? Because everybody else around them had a king. Have we ever done this? we ever looked around at what everybody else has and says, that's what I want too? Well, that's what they did here. And so they sent word to God, and God said, fine, I'll give them a king, but they're going to get the consequences of living under a king. You sure you want this? They did. So God gave them 42 kings, 42. Now, how did that go? Will you be the judge? All right? Think about this. The first three kings were Saul, David, and Solomon. How did it go for Saul? Turned his back on God. How did it go for David. Well, David was a man after God's heart. He loved God, and he longed to walk with God, but he blew it. He was imperfect, so it wasn't perfect, but still he had a heart for God, and God had a wonderful relationship with David. Then there was Solomon, and he was on and off in his relationship with God. So if you look at just the first three kings, actually, that's kind of the pattern of the other 39 kings that followed. And how did it go for the other 39? Well, only eight Walked with God. Eight out of 39. Asa, Josiah, Hezekiah, and five others. You could go look them up. But ultimately, what happened was God then at that point said, What? What did he say? I'm done with you? Is that what he said? No, that's right. What he did was he sent prophets. And you see that little prophetic megaphone there? So when you read through the prophetic accounts in the Old Testament Scriptures, this is where the prophets began to speak. And actually, in this period right here, God sends 12 different prophets to call his children back to the Lord, which is incredible. What an act of grace on his part, because he could have just said, you know what, I'm done with you. I mean, come on. I thought you could get it together this time. None of that. God sent pleadings, warnings, admonitions, promises through all of these prophets. I mean, even think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah came along, and he prophesied many things. But one of the things he prophesied was that he said there's going to become a royal king. And this royal king is going to come through the messianic line of David. And ultimately, this royal king is going to bring people a brand new life. But in spite of all of that, they continued to turn their backs on God, and ultimately what happened was they experienced the consequences of their stubborn hearts and their unwillingness to turn back to God when their enemies came in and attacked them, and they lost the promised land, and they ended up living in exile for 70 years. You talk about a sad time in the history of Israel and Judah, this was it, and weeping prophets like Jeremiah. They wept over what took place because the people had turned their backs on God. And so what did God do? You see the little prophetic megaphone? He sent two more prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel. And why did he send Ezekiel and Daniel? Well, because God wanted them to have some encouragement and some hope. And he wanted them to know that this wasn't the end of the road for them. I mean, it could have been, but it wasn't the end of the road for them. In fact, these two prophets, Ezekiel and Daniel, two sons of men, spoke about a coming son of man who would address people's idolatry and their wickedness. And this coming one was going to give them a new heart and a new spirit and a new life and a new future. Now, you would think that after all of that, God's children would have finally said, oh, let's get it right this time, okay? And what comes next is that God, after 29,000-plus days, 70 years in exile, which tells me that's kind of enough time for people to finally get it together, wouldn't you say? I mean, you know, go to your bedroom for an hour, I mean, you know, time out for an hour or something, We say, oh, man that's going to go on forever it seems like well take 70 years 70 years you think well they're going to come back ready to get it right this time huh won't they and i mean when god returns them to their their land from persia they'll get it right this time won't they well when you read the account what happens is they came back the return came in three different phases some came back initially with a guy named Zerubbabel that you don't want to try to spell, or you'll be in trouble. But they came back with Zerubbabel, and they came back to rebuild the temple. Fifty thousand of them came back to rebuild the temple, and and then another group came back with a guy later. His name was Ezra. He was a priest, and he came back to rebuild the people. And then Nehemiah came back and tell me, what did Nehemiah come back to rebuild? The walls. The walls of the city have been torn down, and so God did what he promised. He said, I'm going to bring you back to the land, but ultimately he sends three more prophets, and the reason why he sent three more prophets is because after two years of rebuilding the temple and getting the foundation done, you know what the people did that came back to rebuild the temple with new high hopes and dreams and, you know, mountaintop experiences and whatever you want to call it? After they came back with all of that, what did they do? After two years of working on the temple, they walked off the job. They quit. And they quit for 16 years. Now, that's a problem. You know, I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks or something, but 16 years. You know how long it was ago that the iPhone came out? It was 16 years ago this June. This past June, 16 years. You think the world has been changed because of an iPhone that's been out there for 16 years? Oh my, are you kidding? We got them wherever we go, you know? I mean, like they've changed our life, absolutely. Well, do you think that possibly if the temple had been built, it could have changed the lives of the people over that 16-year period of time? Absolutely. But it didn't get done. So God sent Zerubbabel and Haggai, and both of them pleaded with God's children to get the temple built. They ultimately did get the temple built. Then they started worshiping in the temple, but pretty soon their worship was just ritual again, and they hardened their hearts and stiffened their necks toward God, which is why God sent one more prophet. His name was Malachi. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi speaks, and he calls God's children to be faithful to him like he had been faithful to them. Now, that's the Old Testament story, and it's an incredible story of the grace of God, isn't it? I mean, God should have many times over just said, you know, this was a good idea, but it's really not working out. I'm done with this. But God, whose loving kindnesses never cease and whose compassions never fail, whose faithfulness is new every morning, whose faithfulness is great, that God continued to be faithful to his children to fulfill his promises. All through the Old Testament scriptures, which tells us that this God, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness, will be faithful even still. No matter what we do. Now, that doesn't give us permission to just do whatever it is we want to do. What we need to do is get the relationship between us and God to the place where we love him like he loves us, right? Now, what followed is a gap of time between the Old and the New Testament, a period of waiting or a period of silence where God doesn't show up in burning bushes. Uh, God doesn't show up in clouds. Uh, he doesn't send any prophets, but he's working while the people are waiting, we could say. And they were waiting. If you look closely at history here between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the last book of the Old Testament was... Malachi, first book of the New Testament was what? Matthew. So between Malachi and Matthew, there's a period of about 400 years. And it's almost like this is the longest time out that God put his people in. Perhaps they'll get it together this time. But at that same time, he was working to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. These are final preparations. So he worked through Greece. Greece is a world power during those years. Actually, Greece, through their work, brought a common language into the world. Could that help spread the gospel, a common language in the world? Uh, Oh, yeah. And, And when Rome was the world power during that period of time, Rome built roads throughout the world. Could that possibly help spread the gospel? Well, yeah, if there are roads all the way throughout the world. And could persecution, even of God's children during the Maccabean period of time, could the persecution that ultimately gave them a greater intense desire for the coming of the Messiah be something that could possibly open up their hearts to the promised Messiah? Well, yeah. And that's just much of what God did during those years. Just like even right now in the world and the conditions that we're facing in the world, it's not like God has lost control. It's just God is working out his plan a plan that we can trust. And even when we can't understand it, we know that he's working. And just when the time was right, what happened? Jesus came into the world, the promised Messiah. Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the entire, i to go back here. And, and Jesus came, his story is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So those four gospel accounts, the first four books of the New Testament. We're told that all the story of Christ that they could possibly, you know, get into those little books, they talk about how even the books of the world could not fill all that Jesus did, but we know that Jesus was born, he grew up, he ministered to all kinds of people, he ultimately died on a cross, he was buried in a tomb, he rose from the dead, he made many post-resurrection appearances, and then he went back to heaven, And why did he do all of that? He he did all of that to save people like us from our sins. That's why. He did all of that to bring us back into a close relationship with God. In fact, Jesus said that he came to give sinners eternal life. He called it abundant life. And he said this life begins the day a person receives Christ as their Savior. Their sins are forgiven. Their death penalty is canceled. They're adopted into God's family. And as a child of God, their future is filled with hope. That's the story of the gospel accounts. And that hope is carried out, this hope we've been talking about here this morning, that hope is carried out in the book of Acts. Acts could easily be called the Acts of the Apostles or through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because what happens is at the beginning of Acts is that ultimately Jesus goes back to heaven and then as promised, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came to reside in the apostles and 120 other believers. And it was an incredible event. In fact, the Holy Spirit came to empower God's children to do what it was Jesus wanted. What did he want them to do? He wanted them to carry out the gospel to the city of Jerusalem, the city they were living in. That would be like Santa Ana. And then from there to Judea and Samaria, and from there to the four corners of the earth. But Jesus knew that they couldn't accomplish that in their own power, but that would have to come through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you read the account in the book of Acts of how the Holy Spirit begins to work in people and change people so that, they are converted, and they are changed, and they're given courage. People like Peter, and Paul, and Phoebe, and Priscilla, and others who are, you know, especially Peter, cowards at the end of Jesus' life, and they're completely changed, and so what happens is, is that the gospel spreads to all people, and out of that comes, oh my goodness, oh, and by the way, I didn't change the slide here, but that's the Holy Spirit slide, but you get the idea, filled the hearts of God's People And out of all of that work, churches sprang up. Churches were birthed. And out of those churches, ultimately what took place, when me go back here a couple slides, ultimately what took place was that people were uh, becoming disciples of Jesus. So you have 21 letters that follow Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, first five books. you got 21 letters, and those 21 letters are written to different churches and different individuals who are all called by God to go out and do what Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? Well, he went out making disciples, right? So when he said to some fishermen, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, Jesus had intentional discipleship in mind. And so what we have now is the outworking of that where first Jesus impacted uh, some men and those men went out and impacted others? And that's what discipleship is all about. It's about this change of this, this chain of impact that ultimately changes people's lives forever. And we see them making disciples by helping people come to Christ. That's the front half of the Great Commission and helping them grow up in Christ. That's the back half of the Great Commission. It's all about helping people grow in love for God. And, other people. That's discipleship. And that all leads up to ultimately the new day of new beginnings when people are going to experience a new life. In fact, it's a wonderful book because it's describing this day when God is ultimately going to give us a new heavens and a new earth. Life is finally going to be like it was meant to be all along. Uh, We're going to experience perfection. In our relationships with God and each other, we're going to experience brand new life. Wickedness, crime, pain, disease, death. It's all going to be a thing of the past. And God's long-awaited promises are going to be fulfilled through Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the entire world is going to be blessed. And God is going to dwell among his people. And life is going to be like it should have been all along. Now, that's the storyline, told with more detail than perhaps you might tell it. But that's the storyline. And and Jesus, when he went back and he told the first part of that story, you know what happened? It changed those guys. I mean, it really did. If you go on in Luke chapter 24, it, it tells us that as they were approaching, as they were approaching the village, verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going to go farther, but they urged him strongly. They said, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them and understand at this point, all they've heard is the scripture. So Jesus helped them understand the gospel story in the Old Testament scriptures. That's all they've got. They still don't know it's Jesus. And it says that they shared a meal together And then Jesus did this in verse 30 and 31. He gave them sight to see. It says, he gave them sight to see, and then their eyes were opened. And what you see here is that Jesus does something that I think oftentimes happens when people hear the word of God, and they begin to realize that God loves them and wants a relationship with them And it, in turn, causes them to love the one that loves them. And that's what we see here. These guys, based upon what Jesus taught them, which had a change in their perspective on all that was happening, expressed immediately their love to this stranger through hospitality. In other words, what they wanted to do was not leave this person's presence, but have him stay with them and spend more time together. And I kind of think that's what happened, isn't it, what happens? When you begin to grasp this story, what it does is it creates in you a desire to spend more time with the Lord Jesus Christ. And once you come to know the Lord in a personal way, it certainly gives you a desire to know him more personally and to be changed by him in not only the moment, but in the days that are yet to come. There's a second thing that happens. As you read on through the account, they then got up. It tells us that after Jesus left them, they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. And they said to that assembled crowd, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What they did was they turned right around. So these guys had just finished a two, three-hour-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Well, after Jesus has this experience with them, they, the next thing they got to do is what I think oftentimes a person will do when they understand this story and are changed by it, and that is this. They want to express God's love for them to others. They want to go out and tell others the story. And so these guys weren't about to sit on this information. They got it out to others immediately. And I love that because I think when we understand God's story, it's just very natural to want to share this story with others who will benefit it by. It. So the application is pretty obvious, isn't it? God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. He's been working all throughout history to make that relationship possible. He longs for us to love him like he loves us, and he longs for us to take that message and pass it on to others that they ultimately might come to love him like he loves us. Lord, let's just together say thank you You have done such an amazing work for us, and you continue to do an amazing work in us, not because we deserve it, not because we've been so lovable, but because of your amazing love and your amazing grace and the goodness that we sang about. And we see that in the the pages of history, and we long to be changed into the people that you want us to be through Christ. And so we ask, Lord, that if first we don't have a relationship with you, that we would come to receive the Savior, even as these individuals did that day in a whole new way, were changed by what they found out. And God, we pray that not only would you change us, but you would also give us the courage and the conviction to share this story with others, to talk about, yes, what you've done for us, but, Lord, to share the gospel story. And if pictures will help us do that, then help us learn to share these pictures in a way that would help others hear and come to understand the story and through your work in their hearts come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends.